Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Thanks for joining us here today. We're glad that you've come. Uh, if you have any questions, let us know after church. We'd love to greet you, have a handshake. We, ben and I are always available for coffee or conversation. If you have questions about our church, always happy to open up my schedule and have coffee and answer any question or help in any way that I can. And why, why does Watermark exist, for those of you that are maybe asking the question, what is this church all about? We, we put it right up on the wall there. That's our vision that God has kind of given to the elders over the last year. We've prayed, we've asked, we've listened to you and leaders, and, and what we heard God's Spirit say is that I'm about building a generational community at Watermark that flourishes in God conversations and the authentic love of Christ. And, and that has just captivated the hearts of our leadership as we're praying and ask God, show us what that looks like, right? What does it mean to have a generational community, right? What does it mean to have the generations worship together and serve together and lead together at the highest level and have the generations influence each other uh, in spiritual matters? We get, we get a lot from the next generation. I get a lot from Ben, and he gets a little bit from me, hopefully, but as we come together, God does amazing things, and that's a reflection of what want to happen in our church. Uh, and we want to have God conversations. We want to come in here every week with you guys, gather and fill up, right? This is a filling time. We're submitting to the Spirit of God. We're listening and being fed by the Word of God. We're celebrating God in worship. This is a filling time so that we might be full and go and give to our culture and our community out of that fullness, have God conversations. In a culture and a world that is, is moving farther and farther away from the idea of God, how do you have a God conversation in that world? I mean, God is showing us, we're praying, how do we do that? That's what we want to have happen in that sports camp. We want to have a God conversation with the people of that community that don't know God, uh, maybe are not interested in God, uh, maybe have questions about God. And why do we go to Rosarito? We want to have a God conversation with another culture in another place and share the authentic love of Christ in that community that God has built, I think, 16 homes down there through this church and your faithful giving and sacrifice. And out of that, a church has been born. And we want to have a God conversation and support that community and love that community of a different culture, of a different place. And in all that, we see this flourishing of knowing and understanding who God is. And what he's all about. And that's why we've been in the book of Daniel. Each week we open God's word. And Daniel is a book tucked in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. It's in the, the section, the prophetic section. And it's about this young man that actually lived a life that really s- stood strong and shone bright. He, he lived in a time where his country went through a very, very dark season because he was a part of the Jewish nation of Israel And at this time, his nation was taken into captivity. His nation was overrun by another nation, the Babylonian, the great Babylonian empire. And King Nebuchadnezzar swept down, uh, besieged his holy city, and took him and his friends back to Babylon into captivity. And Daniel is this life that shines bright, 
Daniel stands strong in a very difficult and challenging cultural situation for him. And you know, what we can gather from the book of Daniel, even today in American culture, in our context, is the fact that most and most people, when they look at our culture from a Christian perspective, from a Christian worldview, they say we live in a post-Christian culture. Christianity used to be at the center of our culture. It used to be where our laws were birthed from, right? A Judeo-Christian ethic. It used to be what our institutions had on the wall. In God we trust, right? The Ten Commandments. Our culture used to be a Christian-centered culture. But now we've moved away from that and we're moving beyond that into a post-Christian context. And now many times the governmental system or even the religious system, because we live in a pluralistic where there are many gods in our culture now, not just the Christian God, and we live in a situation where the structures and the institutions and even the values don't support our faith anymore. They're not necessarily affirming to our faith anymore. They're many times apathetic to our faith and, and, and not caring about our faith. And many times we even see they're becoming antagonistic to our faith. This is the culture that Daniel lived in as a faithful Jew. The same type of situation where the government, the institution, and everything that was around him in terms of art and education and culture did not affirm his faith, did not affirm his story. And so Daniel helps us in this season in our culture to answer the question, how do we live a life of belief in an unbelieving world? How do I hold my faith in a post-Christian context? How do I live a life that stands strong and shines bright when the culture is not necessarily with me in what I do and what I believe and who I am? And Daniel answers that question in a powerful way to encourage us and to help us. How can we not just survive, right? But how do we thrive? How do our kids thrive in a in a, in a campus in high school where everything on that campus is against the Christian values and beliefs that their parents gave to them? How do we do that when we go to the university system? And how do we hold on to our faith when everything in that system is not necessarily affirming or encouraging the faith that we were given from our parents or our church? How do we go into a world where the ethics and the morality that we learned maybe growing up in Sunday school is totally different in the world and the business place that we go to? How do we keep our faith and live a life of belief in an unbelieving world? This is a huge challenge and a question. And Daniel's life is a life of encouragement. I encourage you to open the book and read the book and see it. And today in Daniel chapter 5, we're going to take another step of this idea. What does it look like to keep your faith in an unbelieving world, as we look at this famous story in Daniel chapter 5 of this huge party that this monarch, Belshazzar, threw for his people. It's a famous story. Uh, It's been written about. People have done art on this story. People have talked about this story. And we get to learn some powerful things for us here today in terms of our faith journey because Belshazzar's feast is a feast of significance. You see, everybody, regardless of whether you're in a Christian culture or a post-Christian culture, or regardless of where you live on this planet, every human being is looking for significance. You're looking for significance. You're looking to find, from the time you came out of the womb, 
Why am I valuable? Do I matter? Do I have worth? Does my life have meaning or purpose? Why am I here and what am I about? What gives me significance? What makes me feel valuable? What makes me feel accepted, affirmed, and loved? Every human being at the core is looking for that question and trying to find that answer. Belshazzar, as a king, is giving the answer to his culture, has bought into the significant story of his culture, and he throws this big, raucous party, man. And you know what? A lot of times in today's culture, people say, I find my significance in throwing a big party, posted it on Facebook, right? If you can see who's at my party on Facebook, right? I have significance, right? And, and if I could do something crazy at my park party that makes this thing blow up and gets all over the YouTube stories, guess what? People are going to start coming to me and saying, I'm si- TMZ's going to show up. I'm going to be significant, right? Isn't that part of the cultural story? Well, it's not unlike this time. Belshazzar was throwing this grand feast and he was saying, I am significant. My kingdom is significant and I prove my significance. King Belshazzar, now Daniel is still in, in this Babylonian kingdom, and the last time we were together, he was serving a king called Nebuchadnezzar. This is some time later. Nebuchadnezzar has passed off the scene, and we're 20-some years later from his demise. Daniel's not a young man anymore. Daniel's up in his 70s at this time, still serving the kingdom. Belshazzar is the, is the monarch at this time in Babylon, and he throws this huge, raucous party. This party is supersized and out of control. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets. Remember that from Daniel chapter 1 when Nebuchadnezzar took over Israel and sacked Jerusalem, he took the gold goblets that were dedicated to the worship of Yahweh in the temple, right? And he took them and put them in his own treasure chest, right? Well, Belshazzar knows what they are. So he gives orders to bring out the gold and silver goblets. These things were precious. These things were awesome that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So he brought in the gold goblets and put them out on the table and said, Woohoo! Look at what we're going to toast in. Look at this gold. Look at how powerful I am, right? And so he brings out the gold goblets. I'd like one of those for a party favor, wouldn't you? You can take home this gold goblet as a party favor. I'd go to that party, right? And so he put these gold goblets on the table and he says, Bring out the wine. And so in the king and the nobles, and then he brings in his wives and his concubines. This is very unique. We just blow right through this. But in those days, this was not the norm. You didn't throw a party and have your wives and the concubines together at that party. He's making a a huge statement of what this party is about, right? And so he brings in not only the nobles, he invites his wives and his concubines to drink from them. And they drank from the wine and they praised the gods of Babylon, the gods of gold and silver, right? The Babylonian gods were material gods. The Babylonian creation story was that God evolved out of material. Material and matter was eternal. They praised the gods of matter, gold and silver and bronze, iron, wood and stone. And so why this crazy party? Why even for in Babylonian circumstances. Nebuchadnezzar never threw a party like this. This was way beyond what Nebuchadnezzar would think of. Why the opulence? Why the extreme excess? 
Why the supersized indulgence, you know, concubines, this sensual atmosphere that's crazy with sensual pleasure. Here's the concubines, here's my wives, you know, have at it, you know. Why the gold? You know, Nebuchadnezzar actually respected that gold, even though he was the leader of his time. He, he actually, he gave a law at one time to honor the God of Israel way back when he proclaimed the law as the leader of the Babylonian. Belshazzar doesn't even remember, doesn't even think about that law. So why the, why the huge spiritual disregard and disrespect for another God? What is going on at this crazy party? One of the things you have to understand, as people have tried to understand this, historically something significant has just happened outside the walls of Babylon. A huge battle has occurred, and guess what? Belshazzar's team lost. The great Babylonian army has just been decisively defeated by the Medo-Persian empire and their army. There's another king and another kingdom knocking on the door, and they've just defeated the, the army of Babylon in an overwhelming way. The Medo-Persian army has just taken them out. And so here's Belteshazzar in his beautiful, wonderful city that's none like it, and he's having this stream party knowing that he, his kingdom has just been defeated, his army's done, and there's this huge cloud of death that's right outside the walls of this city, you know? And so why? A lot of commentators look at it and say, this is just macho. This is just macho. Hey, I don't care. My city's still great. I can last for 12, 20 years in this city. You can't touch me, right? My city's unsinkable, right? So a lot of people think it's just macho. Other people think it's just this denial mechanism. Hey, you know, I'm just in denial of what's happening. I'm just going to continue to do what I've always done. Sort of like you see the movie Titanic. Anybody see Titanic? Nobody. Am I that old? Anybody see Titanic? Okay, when the ship is sinking, don't you find it odd that they say, hey, why don't you put the, why don't you put the orchestra on the top of the ship and, and pass out free champagne? You know, everything, everything will be fine. The ship's sinking. The people are going to die, and they're sitting there continuing to party and pass out the champagne and toast, and the thing's going down the tubes. This in scream, denial, and understanding. This ship is not unsinkable in spite of how much power and worth you put into it. Maybe that's part of what's going on. But what I like is an interpretation that's a modern interpretation that comes from a guy that's actually more of an agnostic, right? His name's Ernest Becker. He wrote this Pulitzer Prize-winning book in 1973 called The Denial of Death. He actually writes about this, and he says this is an extreme response because death is so close. This is the extreme response of a culture that does not have eternal values and worth, grasping at its own significance, when death looms large, the closer death gets, the more frantic the people and the activity becomes. Have you read about Hitler's last days? Have you ever read, read about what he did in his personal bunker when he knew the Russians were coming right into the city? Have you ever read about the opulence and the party and the raucous sex and all the stuff that was happening when he knew, boom, 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 he was going down? What is happening here? Ernest Becker wrote this book called The Denial of Death. And this is what he said. He says, the real world is so terrible to admit. The real world, the reality that death is real. It's so terrible for us to face the reality of death. It tells man that he is small, trembling, a trembling animal. Now, see, he's an ag- agnostic. He's coming from a scientific perspective. It tells 
uh, man, that he is a small, trembling animal who will someday decay and die. And that reality is so fearful and so hard for us to admit, we have to create ways to deny that reality. And really the role of culture, the role of all culture is to create icons and institutions that will affirm the significance of man, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get involved in a culture, we're going to create a culture that affirms my significance. Culture changes all of that. It makes me feel important. The culture affirms me. It makes me feel important. It makes me feel vital to the universe, almost immortal in some ways, if I can get my name on a building, right? If, if I can have a, a, a non-for-profit that gives money even when I'm gone, I can proclaim my legacy. I can become a name that goes beyond death, right? The cultural institutions. Ernest Becker says there's three ways that he sees in this party in Babylon that he sees in American culture, as he's writing about that, that we choose to deal with a huge sense of insignificance that we all feel. All of us feel totally insignificant, All of us feel less than. All of us have this hole, and we're trying to find significance. We're trying to find meaning. We're trying to find why we matter. And here's the three main ways that we do in a culture to affirm our significance. The first one is romance, right? Why did he bring in the concubines? Why the raucous party? Why all the sensuality and the craziness? Romance. I look for salvation in a person that I idolize with romantic love. You ever listen to the love songs of our culture? You know, the cowboy songs that Kat and I love to dance. It's always about this idyllic love that lasts just because we're lovers and we find we're going to last forever. What about Jack and Rose, right? Celine Dion, one of the most best-selling songs of all time. The heart will go on and on. A world number one song about idyllic romantic love that lasts. See, we, we, we grab onto a person, we grab onto this romantic ideal, and we think that somehow that affirms that we're significant and we are eternal. We're looking for that. But Becker says, you know what? People don't make good gods. And ultimately, that fails us. Ultimately, the person that we, we say we love fails us, disappoints us, and leaves us, and death takes that all away. The second thing we try to do is we try to get creative. We try to distinguish ourselves. This is accomplishment. If I can just have an entrepreneurial idea, if I could invent something, if I could do something better than somebody else, then I can ensure my immortality. I can distinguish myself through unique achievements, success. That's why the gold comes out in the party. Look at the Babylonians. Look at who we've conquered. We've conquered nations. This is why we're so powerful. I can take the gold of other gods and toast my gods with it. You see the extreme power and my achievements. Babylonian architecture, Babylonian this, this is what makes us so great. We see the same thing in our culture, right? Same idea. And then finally, religion. Religion actually has been one of the most popular ways that mankind has tried to find and secure their significance, their eternal significance, right? Religion says, if I can pay tribute to a god, if I can earn a god's favor, if I can do what's right for a god, then he's got my back, then he'll reward me. If I do these things, God will reward me. I'm going to take this goblet, I'm going to toast my gods, and because I'm toasting him right now, even when the enemy's right there, he's going to reward me. Do you see the extreme grasping, grasping, the phonetic craziness that's happening here? And it happens in our culture all the time as we move farther and farther away from our eternal moorings. 
This is a commentary on our culture. We're afraid of death. We deny death. We try to create icons. Now, in the Bible, they would call them idols. We make man-made idols to prove that we have significance and eternal worth. And you know what? It works good for a while until we read the writing on the wall, right? Until we go to the funeral, until the other army shows up and squashes us, until things don't go, until we get can't. It works well for a while until the reality of death comes into our life. And guess what? There's the writing on the wall in this party as they're having this raucous time. This hand shows up and begins to write on the wall. Just like if this wall right here, if a huge hand would pop out there and begin writing something on the wall, you guys would freak out and go, what? What kind of a show is this, Bucky? Well, this is what happened. Suddenly, there were fingers of a human hand appearing on the wall in this party, on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, because this is a supernatural inbreaking into his party. This, this is an uninvited guest. He was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees started knocking. This freaked him out so much. The queen, who wasn't at the party, heard about this happening and the fact that the king went crazy to try to figure out what this meant. He brought in all of his wise men, and again, none of the wise men could interpret any of this stuff. The queen comes and says, hey, don't worry, son. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the name of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Who is this? Daniel again. Call for Daniel. He will tell you what the writing on the wall means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, if you can read the writing on the wall and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple. I'm going to make you significant, dude. I'm going to give you a purple robe, and I'll, I'll give you gold chain. I'll make you wealthy, and you'll be made the third highest in my kingdom. I'll make you significant, dude, if you can read the writing on the wall. Have you ever heard that term, writing on the wall? It comes from this story, right? It comes from this story. Well, Daniel's going to read the writing on the wall, and he's going to give a huge indictment, you know, just like Becker does, to the, to the Babylonian culture, right? Here, here, here's where you're getting it wrong, king. And it's going to be a hard stuff to, to sell and a hard pill to swallow for this king. But in his indictment, he shows us how do we have a life of significance significance. How do we find true significance in the culture that we live in, a culture that is pluralistic, a culture of many gods, a culture of many moralities? How do we find true significance? Your kids are looking for it. The people in your businesses are looking for it. Uh, Your friends are looking for it. You're looking for it. How do you find true significance in the world that we live in? And Daniel's going to indict the culture, but he's going to give the answer that we're all looking for. The first way to find true significance for us all, Daniel's response, is you've got to have it on the right slide. You have to trust God's word. The way we find true significance in our world, and our culture, we have to trust in God's word and not in worldly wisdom. Daniel answers the king, you can keep your gifts. That's a lot of money he was just offered, a lot of power and a lot of success. He said, you can keep your gifts and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I'm going to read the writing on the wall. What is Daniel saying in that statement? He's saying significance, my significance, the fact that I'm in Babylon, the fact that I've survived so many kings, 
The fact that I haven't been killed and destroyed is because my significance comes from, from another place other than this world. Daniel's saying, my significance does not come from a purple robe, does not come from a gold chain, it does not come from worldly wisdom and earthly trophies. My significance comes some, from somewhere else. And the words I'm going to tell you, this writing on the wall, I can't interpret it because I'm, I'm humanly wise. I can't read the writing on the wall because I went to Harvard or Stanford. No, that's, that's not why. I, I can't read the writing on the wall because I have a certificate and now I'm, I'm a surgeon. No, that's not why I can read the writing on the wall. I can't read the writing on the wall just because God gave me this incredible brain and I know all kinds of languages. The only reason I can read the writing on the wall is because God has revealed it to me. It is supernatural revelation. And so the writing on the wall is God's word. Where does your significance come from? Does it come from your business, the title that you have? Does it come from the degrees you've earned? Does it come from the money in your bank account that you say makes me significant? Does it come because I have an office this high on this tower? Does it become because I have an address and here's where I live, this gated community? Does it come from any of those things? Does it come because you've been married to a beautiful person? Well, I'm pretty significant. I got a pretty hot-looking wife. I got to say that. But where does it come from? No, no laugh. Gosh, you guys can't even. I try to, get, try to light things up and you guys won't go there with me. Okay, so what Daniel is saying is if you want to find out where true significance comes from, the culture has no help from you. Who just came before Daniel? All the king's wise men and all the king's horses and all the king's men. And they couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Right? He brought in all the sages, all the wisest people in Babylon, all the, the philosophers, all the intellects, all the diviners, all the wealth and wisdom of Babylon came in and they, they, they stared like a cow staring at a gate when they looked at that wall. We have no answer as to what this means. Do you know that the world, the wisdom of this world, even in America today, the greatest nation right now with the greatest wealth and the greatest institutions has no help for you? when it comes to your significance. Do you know that? Do you know that the, the, the most brilliant scientists and the people in this land who, who serve scientific nationalism would say your significance is nothing? Do you know that? Do you know science tells you your significance is nothing? Scientific naturalism? The philosophy that dominates our educational institutions? You are a random chance accident. You came from nothing, right? There is no meaning or morality in your life at all. It's all derived. It's all, it's all evolved. It's insignificant. And one day you're going to die and you're going to go to nothing. One day the sun is going to burn out and this planet is going to be nothing and nobody's going to remember and nobody's going to care. How significant do you feel? I feel significant today. I'm a random chance accident. I feel significant I'm just here as an evolutionary experiment. I'm just here because of luck. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you guys feel, who feels significant? And that's the story of our world right now. The minute you put a meaning on it and say this is good or this is bad, the minute you put a morality on it, you're beyond the realm of science. Science cannot speak to meaning and morality. All it can do is describe what is natural processes that are happening. 
Nothing wrong with it, but if you want significance, you can't find it from the world's wisdom. Because if you want significance, you've got to answer the question, am I created or not? If you're not created, you have no significance. If you're a random chance accident, you have no significance. There is no meaning. There is no morality. The only thing that can give you significance is a creator. If there is a creator, there is something beyond the natural world. If there is a creator, he might have a story to tell. And where do you find a creator? And where do you find the story? Daniel said, I, says, I know the creator and I know the story. And significance comes from the word of God. You are not a random chant. You are created in the image of God. God has a plan for your life. God cherishes who you are. Your value comes not from the world, but from the precious blood of God's son. We find our significance from the word of God, not the wisdom of this world. Nothing wrong with worldly wisdom. It helps, in a lot, it helps you build great architecture. It can help you heal diseases in this world, but it can't take you to something eternal, and it can't tell you where you came from. Only a creator, only a supernatural story can tell you that. That's what Daniel's saying to Babylon right there, the most wisest, smartest people in the world. He's saying that. If you want to know wisdom, it comes from the word of God. Do you guys... Do you guys read this book? Do you guys have this book? I encourage you to open this book. This is a supernatural story. This book has wisdom that defies a lot of the institutions of our world. This book has spoken things that have changed lives. This book is a supernatural put together through thousands of years of history. Different authors, but one unifying theme. This is a miraculous book. Well, wait a minute, Bucky. I went to college. They told me that this book is flawed. This book is historically inaccurate. This is fables and fairy tales. What are you talking about? Well, let's just look at this story right here, actually. Let's look at this story. Daniel chapter 5. You know, if you went to a secular institution and you took Religion 101, they would tell you Daniel 5 is an example why the Bible is so flawed and why it's a fairy tale. Because historically, we know that there was only three kings after Nebuchadnezzar, and the third king, his name is Nabonidus. And Nabonidus, there's no Belshazzar. He doesn't exist. He's a fairy tale story. That's what, you, if you went to Religion 101 some time ago, you would have heard that. But guess what? Archaeologists unearthed a stone, right? It's called the Nabonidus Cylinder. They unearthed a stone, and all of a sudden they read the story in the stone, and they realized that Nabonidus, towards the end of his reign, moved out into the desert, and he made his son a co-regent with him, and his name was... Belshazzar. His name was Belshazzar. Why does Belshazzar says, I'll make you, Daniel, if you answer this, I'll make you the third highest guy in the kingdom. Why does he say that? He's only the second highest guy in the kingdom. His father is the co-regent. Here again, this crazy ancient book that has no wisdom has more wisdom than modern scholars do when it comes to this, right? Over and over again, archaeology, over and over again, these words prove true. I would encourage you to embrace this book, to live in this book, and to serve this book because it comes from the living God. Trust in this word. How do you know that you're not serving an idol or not? How do you know that? You have a relationship with God that can make you angry. You have a relationship with a God that can disappoint you. 
You have a relationship with a God that can challenge you. You have a relationship with a God that can take you into captivity and discipline you and bring you out of it for a purpose. If, if your God just gives you everything you want and you say, I want money, power, and success, and you're here to make me money, have me money, and power, and success, and you take the parts of the Bible that you like and you throw out the parts that you don't, guess what? You've created an idol, a Christian idol. You've created a Jesus of your own making. I like this about Jesus. I don't like this about Jesus. So I'll take the parts of the Bible that I want for me and I'll throw out the rest. That's Christian idolatry. If you want an intimate relationship with a living God, you listen to his word, you cherish his word, even when it pushes into you, even when it's hard for you, even when it's difficult, because it is a living relationship with a God that knows more than you do. Right? That's a living God, a God that can push back, a God that, that challenges, a God that is his own person, that is alive and active. And that's what this world does. And that's why Daniel says, hey, I'm in captivity here. <laughs> but you know what? Let me tell you what the living God has taught me from his word. Are you trusting in the word of God? The second thing you've got to do is you've got to deal with the issue of pride. The second thing that Daniel does is he reminds Belshazzar of his grandfather's story. Did you learn anything from your grandfather's story? Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father, and the, it, 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 the word father there is used for a line of kings. Uh, that's, that's the way the word is used. The, the, the head of this line is Nebuchadnezzar. This is actually Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. So that word father is not, uh, has to do, it doesn't have to do with the natural order. It has to do with a kingly line, a headship. The head, of, the head of this thing, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereign and greatness and glory and splendor, s- learned something. Because of the high position he ga- God gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was dis- deposed of his royal uh, throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. We talked about this last week, and if you want to know more about that, Get the podcast on that one. Until he acknowledged that the Most High is God, sovereign over all the kingdoms of earth, and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Did you learn from your grandfather's humility? Did you remember the story that he thought everything he had came from his own power and might and success? And yet, when that was taken away from him, he learned that everything he had came from the Most High God. If you're going to understand significance, you're going to have to deal with your own pride. What is pride? Pride is not seeing that everything that you have comes from the living God. Pride is not seeing that your, your house and your car and your job and the air that you breathe and everything you have comes from the living God. You didn't earn it, you don't own it, and you're not entitled to it way against the American cultural values. And yet, if you want to find true significance, you have to understand that everything comes from an eternal loving God. Why are people so insecure in our culture, even though we have so much? Why is insecurity so rampant in our land? Because we think we have to earn it, we have to own it, and we're entitled to it. And that always makes us fearful because we can lose it through the market, we can, we can lose our jobs. It can be taken away from us. We have to fight others for it. We have to hold on to it. That is the essence of pride. You know, the essence of insecurity comes from the root of pride. The more secure we are in the fact that everything belongs to God and we belong to God, and he's got us in the palm of our hands, everything he's given us, the less fearful we're going to be. 
the less insecure we're going to be. So it's exactly the opposite of the world. The way that you find significance is by trusting and acknowledge that it all comes from God. Even the name that you have, beloved child, it comes from God. You've got to learn to deal with your pride to find that your significance comes from the eternal God. And finally, you have to understand the difference between religion and faith. Why the goblets? Right? Why are you toasting God's goblets, other gods? He says, instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You, you had the goblets from his temple brought to you and you and your nobles, your wives and your compromise drank from them. You praised the gods of silver, of gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear. You praised old dead gods, but you did not honor the living God who holds your hand in your life. That's religion. Religion is taking what God is giving it and using it for your own means. I'm going to use church, I'm going to use the communion table, I'm going to use prayer, I'm going to use Bible study to get what I want out of God. How many people come to church and say, I'm here to get what I want out of God. God, you're here, here's my agenda, here's what you need to do for me. And we're just taking God's goblets and toasting the false gods of money, power, and success. We're trying to use God to get our own way. That is religion. Daniel's faith and Christianity is something totally different. It is relationship. See, religion says, I give God a good record and he owes me a good life. That's religion. Relationship, the gospel says, through Jesus Christ, God has given me a perfect record. God has given me a perfect record that I receive by faith. And now I live in grateful relationship to him. I respond to him. I thank him. I surrender. I serve him. That's not religion. That's responding to his grace and living in a relationship. That's Daniel, and that's the way to find true significance, to have an eternal abiding relationship with Christ. That's why Jesus came at this table and said, I have become insignificant. He's a different kind of king. He he doesn't stand up with goblets of gold up in his ivory towers and pronounce judgment and say, you know what? Those people can go to hell. No, he came down and he became insignificant. He took on skin and he said, as the king of the universe, this is my body and blood so that you can find significance in me. That's grace. That's what we celebrate here today. That's the writing on the wall that Jesus came to bring us is that because of his love, because of his grace, you can know the words of God that you are his beloved child. You can know humility and significance and security by trusting in him and not false gods. You can know that you are a child of God because you have a relationship with him and you don't have to play a religious game. That is true significance. That's why Daniel stood. That's why we are here today to show people a life of true significance. As we come to the table, is that the way you're living? Are you you just a hold of idols and saying, you know what, my significance comes from my money, my power, and my worth, and you know what, I'm going to keep holding on to this stuff. Are you willing to let go of that stuff and say, Jesus, help me find my significance in you. Help me to listen to your word and what it says about me. Help me to humble myself and serve others. Help me to trust that you'll fill me with your love because you are with me forever because I have a relationship. You have made me secure, and now I can serve others. That's what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be the writing on the wall of the kingdom of God.
let's bow our heads as we remember that this morning. As we come to the communion table, let's thank him. Lord, thank you for true significance. Lord, I confess in my life I've tried to find significance in my work, in my money, in my power and success, and none of it works. I just feel insecure. I feel prideful. I feel less than. But Jesus, when I surrender my life to you, when I take my treasures and my talents and I put them in your hands and I realize my significance comes from being a beloved child of God, it comes from your body and blood that was given for me, Lord, it frees me to not live in fear, but to love and serve others. I pray that for all of us here today, that we will have that Daniel spirit, Lord, and we'll live in the significance that only you can give us. And so we worship you this morning. We partake of this body and blood that you gave for us, and we thank you for your grace. Heal us. Make us significant in your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to the tables. Let's end our time by worshiping. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.